Hello and welcome to another episode of Fungibility. I'm your host, Ruve. So action-packed week, like it always is in the NFT space. A few things that jumped out at me this week. There's the big conference happening in Austin in the sort of tech and media landscape, South by Southwest. And yesterday, um, there was an announcement by Facebook and Instagram, Meta, whatever they call themselves these days, the evil empire, I suppose, has now decided that they're going all in on NFTs. And they're, they're going to essentially allow NFTs on Instagram to be created and purchased. Now, the, the, the bigger question is, does anybody want Meta to, to be in that space? But that is not necessarily the, the right question to ask, but apparently they're gonna be doing that. Some other interesting things that I saw Earlier today, the folks at Board, uh, the Board Ape Yacht Club came out with a fungible token. Um, not really sure what the purpose of this fungible token is. Uh, I, I think possibly to make some more money, but it, it's not done particularly well. It looks like it's actually dropped by something like 80, 85% since its uh, initial offering this morning, showing that just because you create it doesn't mean anybody actually wants it. And that's kind of a sort of, leading on what we discussed last week, where the Board 8 folks actually acquired the assets of the CryptoPunks project and then made it sort of generally available for free use in terms of copyright and related activities. So I think they're on the right track, but the, we're, we're definitely in the midst of a crypto winter. So the, the real question is, just because you create a fungible token doesn't necessarily mean that the world wants that fungible token. And much like the rest of the market, maybe sometimes waiting for the right moment rather than trying to grab as much cash as you can get, might be a better, more uh, appropriate approach to doing this. Today's episode is going to be really interesting. We've got a, a host, this is or a, my, my co-guest on this show, who, who's created a new play-to-earn game. He's in the midst of, of creating anyway, and, and someone I've got to know over the last few weeks. He's in Swedish, which is, which is amazing. I just heard a bit of a, a Swedish song from him. Maybe I can convince him to sing. I'm just kidding. Um, Okay, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on your pod, man. Yeah, you, you've got a long history in the gaming world. And, you know, I, I found your sort of background quite quite interesting. Maybe you could take a moment just to sort of introduce yourself. Uh, so, yeah, I've been uh, in the gaming since I was a kid. I mean, that, as a consumer. I'm 42 now. Um, I've spent... Uh, tremendous time in actually in the online gambling industry prior to uh, to getting into fintech and into crypto but um, now I'm uh, you know father of two kids uh, and trying to make this amazing journey with a new endeavor <laughs> in the crypto space which I joined in 2017 yeah. But you're you're uh, you're 2017, so you're old school for sure. You know, you and I are about the same age, so I'm sure we've we've seen sort of the evolution. I I've uh, I've been particularly interested in sort of the intersection of gaming and crypto and play to earn for quite a while. And as some of the guests or, or listeners may not know, I a long long time ago started my career in the gaming space, circa 1988, as a 10 year old. And you can guess how old I am. Anyway, never, never mind that. But my, one of my first gigs was as a beta tester for one of the first online gaming platforms, a, a platform called Sierra Online, which was uh, a gaming platform created by a, a game company that was p 
popular at the time for doing the King's Quest series of games. Ooh. Anyway, needless to say, it was a bit early, but that that was uh, my sort of, whoa, this is pretty cool to play with other people through a modem. So you were but, be, be, uh, uh, beta test back then? Yeah, 10, 10 years old. And, uh, you know, I, I was... Uh, That's old school. That's OG. I, yeah, yeah I, was, I, I, was, I was equally geeky as, as, a, as a child. But uh, what's interesting about that project, though, for me, is, you know, 10-year-old, you know, I was beta testing. They sent me this, these disc, floppy disks I could put in my, 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 my computer to play. And that, that ultimately failed. Uh -huh. But everybody that was involved in that particular project was introduced to another project happening out of the, the Virginia area of the U.S. The, the, called AOL. And they were launching their first version alongside of the Windows 3.1 offering, which was basically this graphical user interface. So... I got to beta test AOL V1. I was 12 by that point. Question, Ruben. Like your first game that you sunk like easily got 500 hour plus into, which game would that be? You know, I as a I was a big Sierra Online, you know, anyone of, of the PC sort of gaming era back in the late 80s, you know, that that was a big one. So there were games like, you know, Zork which was, was oh, yeah. a popular, you know, but for me, it was those quest games. Like I really enjoyed those sort of text-based quest games because it sort of was like a choose your own adventure where I could like, you know, open door and the door would open or and I could yeah. move my little keyboard around. I'd spend hours and hours on, on that game. Yeah, I used to play a lot of mud, multi-use dungeons, purely text-based on, on like a VT100 terminal when I was a teenager. Uh, I think that that's where I spent most of my time. And then, um, yeah, I, I, I got in. You remember June 2 on, was it on the Amiga? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Those, the, the Amiga was spectacular. Yeah, yeah like the first real, like, uh, um, real-time strategy game from, uh, from Westwood Studios. Uh, that was a complete game changer for me as a game, like, with, a new interesting you know mechanic with the resources and then everything else took off in the in the artist scene right actually i had a fortune to meet uh, lewis castle the founder of westwood studio once i was like oh awesome you you shaped my childhood man <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's if it, it, for those of that era they, they were some of the most innovative games you know in terms of graphics and gameplay for yeah, by far for sure. yeah, for sure. you know it you know, and like I, I can almost like trace my like developmental years going from like, you know, a 10 year old to a teenager based on like the types of games I would play. I still remember the first time I got like Wolfenstein 3D, like my <laughs> mind blown. Oh, my God. It's it, it's like a first person view. That's crazy. And I, I, I was I, the other day I actually heard I, I was telling my son who, you know, he's desperate for me to get him Grand Theft Auto. And I think it's a, uh -huh. probably not appropriate for for an 11 year old. So I haven't let him get it. But I'd been like, I'm so old that I remember the first version of Grand Theft Auto when it was a top down game. <laughs> but but um, I spent like in this, I grew up actually like in, in this tiny town. I think the, we had like 15,000 here, like in Northern Sweden. And we had this one computer club um, that popped up like in the early 90s. And I remember my time there spending. I think it was like almost like 14, something like that. And 
You remember those long uh, uh, battles that you have with crux cables? When everybody, like if somebody uh, pulled the cable uh, and broke the ring, everybody, you know, the entire uh, multiplayer session stopped when you were playing Doom or, or, or um, Wolfenstein. Did you, nothing like that? Yeah. Yeah, we used to sneak into the uh, our our computer club, which was was meant for learning how to type, and uh, and we'd install yeah, it was like Doom and and Wolfenstein. Eventually, it was like Unreal, which was like the 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 big the the, the first game that really had decent graphics for you know 3D shooters, at least on a PC. So and then we inevitably the the teacher would come in and we'd be like you know kicked out, but. <laughs> anyway, they were they weren't smart enough to like uninstall it kind of kind yeah. of thing. I actually I, I took down a uh, trip down memory lane and and played some of those games uh, today. And um, I mean, if you try playing Wolfenstein now, I get like car sick. What do you call it? Like seasick. Like like I cannot actually play it now. Like it feels you you become like a dizzy after like a while. I don't know if you have the same feeling. If it's just my my old brain not able to handle that kind of like movement uh, on the screen. You know, it's it's it prob possibly. You know, it's like when I throw on those VR headsets. You know, my kids can spend hours in those things, and I'm like, you know, af after like ten minutes, my my head hurts, and I feel like I'm gonna throw up. Yeah. Maybe maybe it has to do with age or what you're used to. It is but like I am I'm too old for that. That's yeah. That, you know. that, that's why, like, for me, one of the genres that I had such huge passion for was, like, you know, um, action RPG games, like Diablo. That was that was probably where my sweet spot was. Um, and it, it's always been a genre that's followed me, like, throughout life. Uh, and I have a huge passion for for that. And I, I, I don't know, maybe it's something that old fart like me can still play <laughs> instead of intensive FPS games. Oh, for sure. I, I see. I see my, you know, I was watching my son play Battlefront, the Star Wars game on his PC the other day. And I'm just like, it's astounding. Like the, the real time graphics that you see on things like Battlefront and Battlefront's already a few years old. It, it's like better than those sort of animated sequences you, you'd expect to be clean and polished from like 20 years ago. And this is like yeah. real time graphics. One thing I don't understand is how fast uh, kids learn to play FPS with uh, a control uh, on, let's say, your PlayStation. I can't do that. And like, I need a mouse and a keyboard. Like, I like, I can't aim at all. If you use like uh, a pad, like a control for your PlayStation, I don't know if you're able to do that. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm definitely a, a a mouse and keyboard kind of guy. Could be the could be the era. I was never really a console player. I was always more of a a, a kind of pc kind of, kind of game player maybe that's possibly but i've noticed in, in my house my 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 oldest son he's he uses the controller now that he switched um from like his uh you know nintendo switched back to a pc he still uses a controller where my middle son he's he's a he's a keyboard guy and he only mm -hmm. uses a, a mouse and keyboard and my and my daughter who's also quite the little gamer also uses a, a keyboard so it might have to do with something like aptitude or maybe the first thing you're used to using, possibly. But yeah, I guess. I guess if, if, if I had been eight years old, I, I could probably learn to aim with one of those things, but um, I'm hopeless now. So 
<laughs> I mean, like, it, it was fun when they were, you know, like, below six. Like, then I could actually win against them. But now I'm just sticking to Mario Kart because then I know I'm safe. <laughs> yeah, I give up. I, 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 there's no winning against them anymore. They're, they're well, I'm, they're well better than me. In, in fairness, they're spending like 60 hours a week playing these games. So that's, I think you spend that much time playing games, you're, you're going to be pretty good. Now yeah. let, let's, let's jump to the world of play to earn, which is kind of, yes. we've, we've covered the evolution of games. They started yeah. off as text, the, uh, exciting, get four colors. The day I got 16 was, was a momentous occasion in my life. Now we, we've got this idea that the assets in the game are not just valuable, but they're interchangeable, interoperable, and, and transposable. There's a big push. You, you've got sort of two sides of the spectrum. You've got folks like us that think that, I, I would say, NFTs and crypto form the basis of ownership and value in these games. Then you've got a large portion, I'm not sure what portion, but a portion of the gaming world that are really pushing back saying, you know what, this is just another cash grab. So what are your thoughts? My thoughts are this. I think that <clears throat> consumers like ourselves who, who have gotten more involved in, in, in you know, blockchain and, and I actually was way back when Engine was new, uh, I actually helped them out uh, in the early stage. And I saw like the NFTs and I yeah, saw that we were partnering up with Minecraft and so I like, oh, this is awesome. You know, that you can actually own an item yourself uh, and and that you can you know in theory then move it between games, but I, I think that what happened is that <clears throat> players who have been you know playing Diablo and these kind of games, Path Effects and so on, has also felt a lot of frustration when you're trying to find an item or or, or that you want to monetize something that you actually have with your character. And yeah, there's always been a secondary market out there. Um, which I think has sometimes been forgotten about in these conversations. Mm -hmm. And that is huge, that market that is out there. And I think that um, we, and, and, and a lot of us in this, uh, in, and also among traditional gamers, see this huge uh, opportunity to decentralize the ownerships of, of IPs. Because normally when you play one of these games, you know, that terms and agreement pop-up window that you just click by uh, you, you basically it states that the studio who produced the games owns everything <laughs> and you're not allowed yeah. to trade anything right so i think that that is something that excites a lot of people and the pushback i think comes from uh those that have a like have a fan they're fan of a certain game and they have game studios that are coming from Web2 and now trying to make the ship. So they have a legacy to live up to. And uh, so their, their, their community, you know, have this feeling that this is just a cash grab from their side. Uh, I think that when you're a studio like uh, my own studio who has no legacy, like we, we haven't released a game yet, we are going to release uh, a game, hopefully by the end of 2023, which will be uh, crystal on our moons uh, and our audience like they are well aware of what we are doing and and i think that is an advantage for new studios and 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 the the community that is out there but i think that more and more will actually start to see the benefit of of 
what we're trying to do is is actually to to give an opportunity for the players to tap into the secondary market uh, of of trading these items or whatever it might be in a game and, and legalize it which is something that it you know if you're trading items with diablo it's actually legal which i think a lot of people are not thinking about yeah and and it's interesting in terms of the ideas of ip and and how you know create a you know copyright ip whatever you want to call it is is now utilized both in terms of you know protection as you said you know are you able to even share a screenshot or stream your fee your 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 fortnite on Twitch, you know, without the game developer potentially having problems with it versus the inverse where IP in the form of NFTs and other sort of assets that are created now form the ability to be used in multiple ways across multiple platforms. And this is a discussion we were having earlier with, with uh, I think it was another game developer. And it was like, you know, imagine being able to import your board apes just as an example and now I, anyone that has a board ape potentially has the ability to participate in a fortnite tournament and the gating factor is whether you're not you you own a board ape now board apes are really expensive so maybe not the best example but using that example if you're fortunate enough to be able to afford you know something that costs 100 ETH as a floor price you know that would be a pretty exclusive club to play in right so it yeah. acts as uh a gating component it, it creates a community of like-minded holders and you can sort of overlay that in other activities in this in this case literally a fortnite tournament just for board ape holders mm -hmm. so and inversely you know i've got an asset it's in your game you know it's a narrow moons you know type of asset now i've got the opportunity to do things in other in other ecosystem you know i'm not trying to pretend like i know what your roadmap is but hypothetically you could use that in other rpgs right? absolutely and I think that is the thing that, that that is exciting that and it's actually that thing actually brings on another, uh, you know, a different kind of challenge when you're building a web tree game and, and th that the economy is not just encapsulated into your game. There is also, you know, outside of your game and, and how it can be used in in with other you know products out there or in this case different games and to me that is exciting um, and i think it's something that open up a completely new um, uh, revenue models for for a lot of students for me i'm a little bit baffled that there is pushback from some studios like i've been talking to a lot of traditional web 2 studios and they're like they're looking at the nfc is like hmm nah don't think so. Uh, I don't see the use case for it. And I'm like, what have they missed? <laughs> How can you not want to to tap into and give the opportunity to your, you know, to to fan base to to do something and open up new uh, um, avenues for how they can use your, uh, you know, actually it is in some sense um, the brand of your game uh, being used with these items in different games, right? And by empowering these, uh, you know, your players to do that, in my opinion, how cannot that be a good thing? Yeah, and a lot of people don't know the things they don't know, and they're used to the sort of way things have always been done, and it's a crutch. And you'll often hear 
well, this is how everybody else does it, or this is how it's always been done. And yeah. that for me is usually the indication of someone who's not willing to push the boundaries, to be able to rethink how the world should be, how the world I, I want to create needs to be. And mm-hmm. I think the difference between like you and I and someone that's comfortable, you know, in a, in a cozy, de- you know, developer, you know, SVP at, you know, big game developing company, it's like, they're not, they're not really looking to innovate. They're, lo- they're looking to sort of milk the cash cow that they have already have in place where mm-hmm. you and I are like, Hey, let, what, what does the future look like? And how do we sit in the context of that future by building tools, games, and applications that can facilitate that future? And that's the entrepreneur versus, yeah. You know, yeah, whatever the I, other guy is. I, I think you're right uh, on that on that part. And I think, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what Steam and, and, and Epic are really going to do. I mean, yeah, Steam said no to NFTs, you know, and, and then Epic obviously as, you know, the rebellious teenagers like, yeah, we're going to accept NFTs. Um, but in, in two years from now, like how they're really going to... Uh, to embrace NFT because I, I'm confident that both of them will eventually, uh, you know, really welcoming NFTs. It's just about they don't need to be first. They just need to have. Uh, I think it's on the compliance side. There's a lot of when it comes to compliance and regulation. Obviously, when you think about centralized platform as as they are, and the huge cash cow that they are, but uh, I would be shocked if we, we don't see them coming into, um, you know, even harder into this NFT segment, maybe with NFT portals and, you know, uh, things well, like that. Maybe it's, it, it, to me, Steam seems like Yahoo and, and <laughs> it's like, Hey, we don't need it. We don't need to worry about that. That's, you know, we, we, we own the market and what do you know, Google pops up and destroys their market because they had yeah. a more a more efficient business model. They had better algorithms and, and a user experience that wasn't cluttered with a bunch of junk you didn't need. Now they added a bunch of clutter and junk you didn't need, you know, once they had the scale, but they didn't start that way. You know, and I think that the next big sort of thing you'll see in the gaming space is not Steam or Epic or EA or any of these guys and when they adopt a- NFTs. They're likely to eventually adopt something that sounds and looks like an NFT. But mm-hmm. what I really am looking for is like the next big thing that, be, you know, the next big EA, like who's going to be the EA of the NFT world? Is it Animoca Brands? Is it, you know, Axie Infinity? Is it something we haven't even thought of? And that will be transformative in the game space when the sort of whole nature of, as you point out, the economics and, and, and the finances of gamings becomes hopefully if we're doing our job right, decentralized. Yeah, could be. And I, I'm actually, I read an article uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, it was yesterday. It's, it, it was about the challenges for uh, studios who are dealing with Web 2 games and how to move over to Web 3. And I think a very important component if you're building games uh, today is to understand the secondary market. And I would say that a lot of these students, they, they, they are not involved with the secondary market. You know, I, I'm talking about uh, running sites like where trading world, uh, above gold uh, items that are being sold, again, this black market. But that understanding of that secondary market and, and player behaviors 
I think that is a very important component uh, for game studios uh, to have like to have that understanding because that is actually what is happening with 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 uh, with games and, and your NFTs, right? And I'm mentioning this because on your topic, what you said, like wonder what's you know going to pop up that takes this over. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see what Forte is going to do. Like they they have challenges. But uh, it's interesting their take on it, like and and, and what they're trying to do. Um, they will be interesting to follow them moving forward for you know the next couple well, of years. The, the the interesting thing, if you look at like the crypto world in general and NFTs, is this idea of like a vampire attack, where you can quickly sort of leverage a derivative of something that already exists. Like in the NFT world, like looks rare is a perfect example. They, yeah. they essentially did an airdrop to the top holders and you know transactional purchasers of OpenSea and were able to quickly sort of gain some pretty good you know traction. Now, unfortunately, it appears that most of that traction was actually like manipulative sort of rewards-based washing. But regardless yeah. of that part, they, they were able to pull off a fairly decent vampire attack in, in a way that it probably should be a case study a business school will probably write someday. And now in the gaming world, that is, in my opinion, is a likely scenario. So when you start looking at sort of open sourcing and, and the ability to create derivatives of an original, like a Uniswap versus SushiSwap, I think once someone nut cracks the nut on what is a truly addictive and fun gaming experience, you'll likely see this sort of derivative works kind of come from it. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. And I think that you actually talked about like you mentioned earlier like something that just being in a certain way you know that you keep on doing it now you were referring to like the web 2 area i think i've seen a lot of that happening also with gamefi uh, and it's going to be exciting to see how that really evolves uh, for the next couple of years because if you ask me the future sure ain't in this pay to earn that we have seen in game five with Axe Infinity. And then everybody's been trying to copy that kind of two token models. I think that is that. Yeah, there's there's no like nothing against these games, but if, if you ever play them, they're not fun. Like no. I, I, I tried Axie Infinity because, you know, obviously I, I was early in the space and I'm like, all right, let's take a look at this thing. You know, I, I was bored. You know, if, <laughs> if you're, it's, it's a kind of gamified, you know, uh, speculation, I guess, but I, it's not a game I was enjoying to play. And the problem that I see across, not all, but a lot of these games is they're, they're not built for like, you know, the Fortnite generation to spend 60 hours playing the, the game every week but some kind of like mechanism to like take your crypto. And that isn't particularly exciting to me. I think one, the thing has to be fun. Like if it's not yeah. fun to play and then why bother the rewarding and all the other things that come with it after the fact are a value add, not a primary. I couldn't agree more. Actually, when, when we launched this studio was like in 2020, uh, I mean, uh, me and some friends uh, that has a long uh, experience from, you know, traditional Web2 uh, games. Um, and 
when we looked at this entire market, um, we were wondering like, what on earth is going on? Uh, we kind of like identify like three really pain points in GameFi. First, like you have like a gigantic barrier just to enter the game. You need to hold some crypto asset. And this is just fundamentally wrong. Uh, basically, you're alienating probably like 99.5% of all gamers out there. And then, uh, as say, exactly as you said, like these are not games. Like if you remove, if you strip them bare of the crypto part, the gameplay is is not there. There's like there, there's no stickiness. There's no you know there's no core loop that you want to play that is enjoyable. If you think about Diablo, like that core loop is very simple. Like you. you you start in a city, you know, you go to a dungeon, you kill mobs, you find items, you go back to the city and you sell items. So it's like a completely item you know, driven progression game. But that one is fun, right? Uh, and then everything is built on top of that core loop. And, and so when we looked at this, it's like this really has to change. And it's like, how about we just stop building a game with, you know, our game first mentality and where we feel confident that we could launch this game without crypto and you know we we would make a profit as a company in launching this game that's how confident we are in both our game design skills and and our you know understanding of game economy in the game and and what makes a game sticky and addictive uh, and then of course as you build the game you incorporate you know the, the the crypto so-called part into the game uh, in these core mechanics. But it's very, very, very important that you, you know, it's something that even if you don't understand crypto, you need to be able to play the game, to get access to the game, play the game. And, and then our take on it is that, you know, like actually finding the SLP tokens and withdrawing it and selling it, that that's not, that's not what you should be looking for. <laughs> I don't think anybody that's looked at the economy for 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 X, I think that's a good thing. And, no. and uh, it also it, we don't have to go too much into that, but it's you have the compliance issue with if you are like a virtual asset service provider uh, because you're doing that. And uh, for us, we rather lead with the game, and if you think it's fun and the items that you find in the game and that holds a value, then you can turn them into NFTs, right? And then you can sell them on the secondary market and that's how you monetize, right? And I think that, uh, look at Horizon. They, they had the same approach in, in how they were thinking about, you know, game first uh, and, and then applying, um, you know, the earning part to the NFTs instead of trying to find a token inside the game that you're just dumping. Uh, I think. I think the other major sort of thing that we'll see over the next probably year or two is the combination of a DAO where you've got these groups of sort of like-minded gamers and, and sort of contributors that now have the mechanism to sort of directly facilitate the, not just the economy of the game, but the sort of functionality, the rewards, the potentially even the development based on mm -hmm. that sort of community-based governance model. You know, you know, a lot of people look at it like, how am I going to get a piece of the action that flows through it, like the, the actual yeah. yield? But I think the real opportunity isn't necessarily just in yield, but in actual governance. Like, imagine being able to define the 
the governance model of a game and how the structure of that game works, how people are rewarded, what potentially gets developed out through the people who hold the assets and tokens and things. And I think that changes everything. I think that is, that is a challenge. Actually, the last part that you mentioned, and that is, it's a very fine balancing about giving your player base uh, uh, too much. This is going to sound like super boring for, for players, but I'm sorry, but giving the players too much input actually into a game and the development of a game. Uh, because the reality is, and, and I mean, looking inside my team and speaking for a, a lot of experience on that particular topic, is players tend to ask for, for things and want things to be developed and want to move in a certain way, but uh, the game in a certain way. But they don't really understand that what they're asking for is actually going to uh, to to really mess up some of the core systems that they really love in the game. And um, I'll give a very simple example. Like if you if you look at the movement system in an action RPG game and you have the WASD movement, normally that is something you have in a, like an, an open world, right? With World of Warcraft or something like that. Um, and, and these players can get annoyed at sometimes, like even though they like a point and click game with, you know, like a game like Path of Exile, um, and they want to have more control of their character. But the problem is that if you give too much control of a player and the entire game that they love is actually an, uh, an item progression game and it's all about like uh, the items, then you are putting in like another dimension into like that system that you have to take into consideration that would actually mess up a lot of things uh, in the game. Uh, so. <laughs> it, well, I I think, you know, I know we're, we're running a little low on time. This has been a really good conversation, but what, what you just described really sort of reminds me of a, a famous quote by Henry Ford. He said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have they would have asked for a faster horse. Some, sometimes <laughs> you kind of have to innovate for your customers. Back to the original point I made a, a little while ago, you know, they, they don't know what they don't know. And, yeah. you know it's not that they're you know stupid or anything but sometimes you, you have a vision you have to execute it on it i think what you're describing kind of makes sense where can our listeners learn more about your project maybe follow you on social media and just you know interact with you yeah sure uh, uh narrowmoons.com for our homepage, and then uh, uh at narrowmoons for for our, for our twitter page um and um yeah telegram uh same narrow moons keeping and it simple for any listeners who are not familiar with the way this podcast works if you go to the fungibility.co website you'll see our widget on the left hand side every episode has a series of actions and challenges where you can earn rewards and nfts and points so anything discussed in this particular episode, you can sort of learn more about by clicking on some of the actions. You'll get some points for those. You can redeem them and earn the episode on most likely the Polygon blockchain. We may mm. start rolling out some on Binance just to spread the love a little bit. To earn extra points this week from Narrow Moons, visit narrowmoons.com, N-A-R-A-M-U-N-Z.com and input the code word Westwood in lowercase. This is Rube and fungibility.